Yeah, they're... out there. Uh, this is Eric welcoming you to another episode of Waste Books Podcast. Um, this episode, we read The Baron and the Trees by Italian author Italo Calvino, um, which chronicles the adventures of a young nobleman in the Italian countryside, a young baron in the 18th century who uh, rejects his life of wealth and royalty and escapes to the trees where he spends the rest of his days. So it follows a little fantastical journey about his days in the trees. Uh, it was a really fun read. Um, we've been sitting on this one for a while, honestly. Uh, we kind of had to put it on hold while the madness of Julia Louise Dryfest was going on this year. Um, but we finally got back to it. But the last couple weeks, it's been a bit of a shit show trying to get this recorded with all of us. So, instead of the normal cast of five of us, we actually only have three this time. Um, me, Jordan Finn, and Cooper Malin. Um, but I think despite uh, not having our full cast, it was a really good conversation. We kind of shortened the episode a bit. Um, but it was a lot of fun. And uh, I hope everyone listening enjoys. Um, a couple more things. Um, first of all, uh, waste-division.org, that's uh, our art collective where we uh, feature a bunch of cool art from around the state of Montana and around the country and around the world. Um, you know, from visual art and poetry and fiction to uh, music and photography and, you know, really any other kind of art we can get our hands on. So please check that out or if you're interested, you know, um, click on our submission page. Um, also, sign up for our art distribution packages uh, at our Waste Division Patreon. Um, you, you can subscribe at multiple different levels, and we try to send out uh, cool art that we can get our hands on or from our different artists at Waste Division each month. That's a really cool thing. And uh, last thing, <coughs> excuse me, Waste Books. Uh, with Waste Books, we've started a little podcast network called Waste Radio Network. Um, so this and Phil Griffin's show, um, Filthy Talk, are our two main shows we have going, and we're uh, going to be adding a bunch of cool new content in the coming months. So be on the lookout for that. If and if you have an idea for a podcast also, please click that submission page at waste-division.org and let us know. Um, so I guess uh, let's get on with the show. Waste. 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 Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Waste Books. Uh, today, we are doing at, uh, Italo Calvino's The Baron in the Trees. Cooper, you stole my glory. Oh, I'm sorry. I, I, I just, oh, I love, that's my favorite part. Well, we should address <laughs> the fact, though, first, that we uh, are down two members this time. 
this is Perfect a skeleton club. crew. Phil. Actually, it feels like we're up three people. We've actually just like dropped some of the baggage that some of our you listeners have been writing. <laughs> yeah, down. right? It's half glass full. Feel a little lighter. <laughs> yeah. I think it's just a full glass period. <laughs> I think they were like the three like pubes floating in our glass of delicious scotch. <laughs> we, we just finally flicked them out. Oh, that's beautiful. That is beautiful. <laughs> that's beautiful. That's poetry. Yeah, that's well, it's with the novel we're reading. Yeah, yes, it <laughs> This was yeah. Uh, but, you know what? Another, we won't even another favorite of mine. We we won't even mention them by name. Let's just move on. And pretend they don't even exist. Yes. They don't need recognition besides all the cool stuff that they are doing in their own respective places, but you're all aware of that. Fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> Slash edit, editing our voices afterwards and doing a lot of hard labor that we will never do. <laughs> to the bitter end. Yes. So uh, we had tried to do a podcast for this book before, and it failed, uh, mea culpa, uh, <laughs> because of garage band issues. So we're, gonna, we're so stalwart. Yes. We're going to do it one more time, and we're going to maybe do it a little shorter. So instead of doing it for an hour and a half, two hours, we're just going to do it for just a little bit less, maybe just an yeah. hour. We'll see. Yeah. If it feels good, yeah. if it feels good. If it feels like shit, we'll, we won't do that. <laughs> uh, yeah. So this really, how should we go about This book just kind of, which, which, which is a shame, but this book feels like our albatross. Uh, and that it's taken us so long to finally get to it <laughs> and then all the technical difficulties that went when we did record it. Well, and you guys read it like this summer before Dry Fest even. I read it the summer oh, of 2015, I believe. Wow. Did you did you not reread this, Cooper? No, I, I was I was making a terrible joke, but that's when I did reread it. Was That's how long oh, ago okay. it was. That's, <laughs> that's good. That's good. <laughs> well, uh, then, uh, yeah, I read it afterward, and just it was easy enough, though, or not easy enough, but I felt like it was a enjoyable enough read and uh, able to get through it pretty quick. I'd love if we I just had like an Eric Tonus gym. easy scale. <laughs> every book, like, <laughs> <laughs> and now we're gonna throw it to Eric. Eric, how easy was this book? Uh, about <laughs> twelve. <laughs> Just it's just an arbitrary <laughs> counting system each time. Yes. <laughs> just just um, stars. Five point two. Yeah. No, this is a great uh, book. I'm really excited to talk about it, even though it's going to be one of our shorter condensed uh, episodes. Uh, I loved it. I'm going to give my my thoughts away right now. Okay. Oh, I have to I have to say things I've already said before. Okay. I know. Uh, so yeah, <laughs> I came to this book. Otago Covino has been like kind of one of those like weird postmodern European guys that I've read a lot of, and there are a lot of French people like him, and a lot of Italians and Germans and such. Um, he's an Italian fellow, if you can't tell from his name. <laughs> uh, he was pretty much a guy that grew up in uh, born in Cuba, grew up in Italy, uh, decided to basically object from being conscripted into the fascist army of Mussolini like a badass like mm-hmm. a fucking derelict and uh, just I think what do we say he fought like in the rebel army or like the I believe he that, he made f- himself a part of like the resistance the resistance movement right. yes in Italy yeah and then afterwards uh, became a novelist he wrote his first book about his war experiences and sort of delved into more experimental work and 
there are books that I have not read. I know Cooper, you've read a few, but like one like Invisible Cities, which is mm-hmm. basically Marco Polo detailing these like fictitious cities that may or may not be real that are very fantastic. I think the fantastic is an element of all of his books, and they find a winner's night of traveler, which is a novel that's just a composition of a lot of unfinished stories. So like pretty weird cerebral stuff. Yes. But this novel is not that cerebral. I, I would say which is maybe why I was disappointed. It's still a great novel. It's very straightforward and fun and kind of like a fairy tale in a lot of ways. Uh, but it's set during the late 18th century, early 19th century, pretty much the Enlightenment. And my reading of this has a lot to do with the Enlightenment and those kinds of changes uh, with this comparison between ideals and things uh, that exist kind of away from material world and the material world as its own place of like re- reality and last thing I want to say I always like comparing this to this sort of revolution or democratic revolution where you have the people moving away from a previously stand- standard or previously understood way of living like a monarchy or like living on the ground because this whole novel is about the main character Cosimo who is the son of a baron and lives in the trees his entire life and never steps onto the ground. Right. Which I don't think is really a spoiler. I think that's pretty much on the back. Uh, <laughs> yes. He is, he's, he's very um, pig-headed in that and courageous in that. Uh, and I think there are some flaws in his character because of that. But for the most part, um, he represents this ideal. And I think in the same way that democracy felt like an ideal that felt silly and stupid at the time but is now the governing system on the planet for the better i would say 2016 not so sure but (laughs) (laughs) we'll see how that works out uh yeah that's me um yeah well going back to what you is this book i mean it, it is it is a fairy tale in in many ways uh in in how it's written the feel of it um the the structure of this book feels like you're being lulled into a sense of comfort, which is then juxtaposed with some of the more realistic it's it, it, uh, and harsher realities of the story. Uh, it, it reads like um, uh, like a Grimm's fairy tale, where there are darker elements um, like betwixt the more like fantastical and and uh, fun loving fun-loving side of things, you know, when we, when it comes to his family, you know, cause this, this story, uh, about Cosimo, who is our, um, our, our baron in the trees is told from his, uh, by his younger brother, uh, who through being collections of stories that he's, uh, gathered over time, uh, is recounting his older brother's story. And so he, and, and they come from, a the landed gentry in this, in this little Northern Italian village, they have, uh, a mother, the the general Lisa, uh, general Lisa, who's the daughter of an uh, of an Austrian uh, general. Uh, she and she has her own quirky side. You know, she she relates everything in in battle terms, and uh, at one point she's using uh, war flags to signal Cosimo when she's realized that he's never coming down, never coming down from the trees. Their father, who is a um, like a permanent um, permanent royalty, or just stuck in his ways and uh, terrified of the changing times, 
But I think what I was more getting at was their sister in that there's this there's this fun wrapped in with some of the more harsher elements. Her, her, their sister is this, like, I don't even know how to be- begin to describe her. She's... She's kind of like, <clears throat> well, they kind of uh, characterize her as being kind of like batty and like off the walls right. and erratic. And like she's, yeah. she, they like kind of made her into their housemaid and like she cleans and cooks for them. But like she ends up finding like the most vile things to cook because she's like curious how and, they'll and She just like loves to torture snails. her family. And and then it culminated uh-huh, in the like, snails. Didn't you say she cooked a full porcupine yeah, or something? Yeah, she was cooked up like just nasty vile things which is why he moves into the trees in the first place is because he doesn't want yeah, to eat yes, snails right. so whatever presented the family the snails might have which right I have theories oh I want to hear them yeah she, she feeds it the family and then he, I, I just took it as this idea of being obviously slow Right. Sluggish, but like unwilling to change and unwilling to, I don't know, let the tides of progress sweep you away and how the system is antiquated, this this monarchy. The, the, uh, like which the is, serving the snails? Uh, the serving of the snails seems to be like the consumption okay. of something that is slow, something that is just kind of gross and out, and it's being, and being slow, it's like not quick and not progressive. Um, and I think that he's so active and wants to experience things in a very, very deliberate way, like very thorough way. Uh, so he goes in the trees. He's, it's like also like, kind of like a back-to-nature story, which I'm critical of those back-to-nature stories. But I think the point, point is he's living this sort of um, empirical life where everything is about experience, everything is about doing, everything is about like, being engaged with the world. Um, and not cutting yourself off from it. And ironically enough, by leaving the world, I think he is able to connect with it uh, in a more visceral way. Right. Um, and there's a lot of stuff, like, fun little, like, encounters along the way. And, like, I think, Cooper, you were... Who's describing it as, like, quixotic? Like, oh, Don Quixote, Eric brought right? it up. Then we, definitely, guys, I think we definitely explored yeah, it that for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And, like, these just kind of scenarios that happen. Well, especially because it's being recounted through the brother. Like, we don't know. Like, he's being fantastical to his brother about some of the recountings of his own journey. So that's where I kind of got that Don Quixote. Because you don't know exactly, you know, what really happened. Oh, sure. You're right. Because we're even told by the brother in several instances later on that. Uh, a, st- a common story his brother would tell to people that would gather about his tree and then to his brother had three separate endings and, and he he himself had to admit right. that I'm going to tell you the three endings yep. I told but you must know that I don't know what really happened. Can I actually say something? When we ended the first podcast I was going to read a quote and that oh, quote perfect. has to do with what you just said. So I want to read really quick. So on page 173 on the one that has the, the green leaf on the have. cover Thank you very um, much. There's the one you don't have. Yeah. Uh, there is a nice little paragraph here about this kind of ambiguity to his stories, which I think speaks right. to fiction in general. Um, but Cosimo was still at the age when the wish to tell stories generates the wish to live. And one believes that one hasn't lived enough to tell stories. So he went off to hunt, stayed away for weeks, and then returned to the trees in the square holding by the tail weasels, badgers, and foxes. And he told the Ambrosotti 
new stories that, as he told them, went from being true to invented and from invented mm. to true. Right. So, however that might be related to this radical shift in his life living uh, by living in the trees, I think is related to this sort of tentative or ironic grasp of reality, which is a more full reality, I think, than this faux standard of living that the barons represent, the, the, the father Ooh, the monarchy like represents. And I hope I'm not... Mm. Yeah, I don't want to hit too hard this like democratic versus monarchy right. uh, dichotomy, but that's a way I've... It's certainly there. Like, it, it'd be, we, yeah. we can't ignore that this story... Uh, is largely an allegorical one and that it's sort of Cosimo, not Cosimo, Calvino working through his own like recent narrative. Like I think we talked about it again, but the book was published in 1957. Oh dude, I'm so sorry. Yeah, I'll stop. No, you're sure. You're good. Sorry, man. I didn't know I cared. You're good. I'll stop. Sorry, yeah. guys. Stop recording. Stop for a sec. Okay. 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 It's there. <laughs> recording so now. Record. Thing. What happened, guys? Yeah, he's not. He wasn't even fucking. Never mind. <laughs> Don't hear that. I'm sorry, Paul. Uh, okay. What was the last thing we were talking about? Oh, we were talking about how it was. Oh, just so everyone understands, somebody walked on the <laughs> roof, and that's why we had to start over. So I apologize. I'm a loud motherfucker. I got excited. I'll whisper. So uh, I think where we were love of books. was talking about how it was an allegory kind of to the things that uh, Calvino was going with his own life and especially in his own time with fascism being kind of the center of uh, their culture yeah. at the time. Yeah, and I just found in the back of my book I wrote a nice another I wrote like a list of dichotomies, and one of them was because he was coming out of the Second World War, authoritarianism versus democracy, which I think is a good way to link maybe monarchy and fascism, is like authoritative yeah. um, systems that uh, are fueled by stripping uh-huh. people of their autonomy when democracy is supposed to feel it in a perfect world. Um, so yeah, I think it's important to remember the world that. Calvino's writing and the shame of being he, this was published in 1957 right. so the war had ended 12 years earlier it's just, this is not like the 70s this is right no totally still fresh especially in Italy a country that was ravaged by the war and you know arguably uh, is, is perhaps still uh, working to regain yeah they've had a weird a weird um, flirtation with modern modernism just modernity I guess yeah yeah, uh, weren't you saying when you were over there, J Bone, that like uh, that current economic, their current economic status is still kind of unstable? Yeah, I mean they're still making a lot of money. Like I would, I can't really deny the fact that they're probably the top five biggest producing countries in the EU. But was that um, really saying that it's, much? Uh, sure, <laughs> right. um, and also like they're they're led by a pretty like borderline far-right conservative party oh, okay. right now. And Interesting. They've been a hotbed for a lot of, like, radical conservatism. So, that's not good. Uh, it's kind of, like, I don't want to say it's in their blood, because that kind of dooms them to being fascists, but they've, they've definitely they've definitely thought about that. They've, that's definitely a big part of 
uh, their history. Right. Not their culture, but their yeah, it seems history. like it's a pattern. Uh. Yeah. What is that Nietzsche thing about history? The eternal. Um. So yeah, I think that Cosimo is definitely like a, at his escape to the trees. You know, both works for the time period that it actually taking place in with the Enlightenment and like kind of the feeling of a lot of Italians probably at that time in post World War Two about their own government. Yeah. Um. Sorry, I'm just thinking about the. Is there a guy on your roof still? <laughs> No, oh, just, the guy that you just dropped I'm some, just like, knowledge bitch. to through his window? He, that was for free, too. Yeah. He should be that thanking you. Knowledge. I mean, you could also just, like... You could also just close the window, but whatever. That's hey, man. <laughs> if you can't get into a good book club discussion, then, you know, he's not worth your time anyways. We should beat his ass. Fucking <laughs> plebs. <laughs> He'd probably hang me over the side of the building with one hand, but... That's okay. That'd be cool, too. That would be cool. Just fucking, who's that guy that, like, that uh, rapper, producer that oh, did that? Oh, Suge Knight to Suge Knight. Uh, No Ice. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just Suge Knight, my ass. That'd be awesome. I wouldn't no, even like, him. police are gonna have another. <laughs> yeah, I kind of want to die right now. I'm like, kind of on, like, kind of fucking terror. Dude, you're more stuff. dangerous than you've ever been. Think about it. You're just, like, like... You're, <laughs> you're recording a podcast on a anymore. fucking roof right now, for God's sakes. <laughs> yeah. Pretty fucking it's derelict. Pretty fun. You guys... All right, sorry. We're talking about books. Yeah. Okay. Uh, uh, well, you know, I really like this book a lot because of the the nature of the language and how fun and whimsical it was. Like... I'm very much uh, a whimsical boy. Yeah, the whimsical boy. Yeah, you want to call me that? That's fine. Is that what we always have called you? <laughs> yes, yes, it is. <laughs> the whimsical, and if not, well, now <laughs> Eric, the whimsical boy. Um, I I completely enjoyed how uh, like absurd some of the you know the tales of Cosimo were. Um, which is like you know him hanging off trees and talking to people and running around with fruit bandits. And, you know, had that hunting dog that, uh, was it a dachshund? Yes. Which is like a small dog, which is funny that it's going around while he's in the trees and it's hunting on the ground. It was like the outcast of its group because right. it, I think it was within a group of another dog, uh, mm-hmm. another type of dogs. And also close. That? Oh, go ahead. I was going to say it's close to the ground, which I thought was interesting. It's like little short legs. It was hard right. to imagine a lot of. Yeah, a lot of him. a lot of his movement and even a lot of like the logistics on how he did live in there um, was either just not explained, you know, sort of a what's what's that idea of like um, suspension of disbelief? Yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah for sure. You know, we're, 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 we be, we're told that he sleeps in a uh, sack that he's sewn himself from animal skins, and he hangs it on a peg, and he just sleeps like perpendicular to the ground like a like a bat but the other way uh-huh. like that's no way like a person couldn't sleep like that i think it does i would say it does and i agree with you cooper but it does like You're try right. which is funny funny when it talks about like how he goes to the bathroom you, when you must be asking <laughs> right. yourself, how did he go to the bathroom <laughs> like well let me tell you and he like has like this trough <laughs> system like it's irrigation system <laughs> yeah. like aqueducts or something and like he somehow gets water up there so we can bathe 
Um, it's, it's fun in the beginning because you see like all these immediate logistical problems that you somehow mm-hmm. can overcome. And like, I, oh, it's actually really shitty never shit bathing. Like he has to bathe still. And like he leads right. like a kind of a normal life. Like no. he's, he's not like deranged. He's clean. He he's like looks better than most people. Actually, I think he's like he's like good clothes and. Um, but I was going to ask you guys. Maybe it would be fun to recount a fun a little uh, situation or scenario or um, kind of an anecdote from the novel that maybe stood out to you guys. And if you don't have one immediately, I think I well I touched on one. I think immediately, like in the first part of the book, one of my favorites was the the bandit of fruit thieves. Uh, yes, that's that's like the first. Yeah, one. Um, and that like immediately started off the novel. Like once he got into the trees, it's like immediately he's going on this like crazy thing with fruit bandits, and like this ch- this girl who ends up being like the kind of noble uh, heir, or uh, sorry. She's of nobility, like their neighbors, like the family next door to him that her his family actually hates, and she kind of leads these band of fruit yes. thieves on her like steed, and like uh, they scour the countryside, and like she makes noises and is their watch lookout so that like she can warn mm-hmm. them when the farmers are coming and stuff, and that mm-hmm. that really set the tone of the book for me, and uh, that's like one, it was definitely one that stuck in my head. Well, then it would come well. back later um, because that. That was a strange aspect of the story. This this girl, who it must be said, uh, what was her name? V, uh, right, Viola. So Viola, I think Viola. Like we talked about earlier in the podcast, <clears throat> was the snails his sisters his sister prepared that his father was then forcing him to eat that in, that initially uh, sparked him running away to the trees like an act of civil disobedience, right? Uh, but. It was when he met her when he crawled mm. over onto her side, and she challenged him, saying, "I bet you won't. I, I bet you won't stay up there." Um, and then it was his own pride that kept him right. from ever coming back down for the rest of his life. So this woman played, or this girl at the time played like an integral part of his story, and he does a little bit of like subverting the reader's expectations because we hear about her a little bit. She she goes away with her family. And it's years, it's years and years later she comes back as the wealthy widow um, and is now the owner of this huge estate. And as you would expect in this story, they would reunite, fall back in love. And while they do have a tryst um, and, and do get to know each other in that way, it ends up not working out. And it ends up she just was just not a nice person. I don't know if that, like, stuck, if that, like, uh, right. sort of shocked anybody else. Mm-hmm. Um. No, I mean, that was hinted at like from the very beginning with how she was uh, so abrupt with him and like the she's very controlling. She's very much like she just was in love with her station in life as like the young... Yeah. Uh, the... Uh, Baroness? No, because she remember the, 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 the anger from the Baron's family was that her uh, family was wealthy, but they were merchants. They were of like the new recent capitalist merchant class and were just as wealthy as them who had like been given their land and titles from the king, which is in the Baron's belief is how right. you became wealthy back then. You didn't work for your you didn't work for your money. Well, and they were also part of like a noble class that didn't live near like the court of the country or the 
uh, their governing body, so they didn't actually have, like, any influence, mm. and they kind of, like, were secluded to the, you know, basically being wealthy ant- landowners who called themselves nobility, they just, even though they right, didn't and really they just, they just participate the in the government anymore. Um, yeah, it was from some From their life. landed serfs. Yep. In the little village. Sure. And... And Cooper, also something we talked about last time, because I'm, I'm always saying Cooper because you just brought this up, but this idea that I like being critical. Maybe part of me not right. liking this book is that I didn't feel like it was critical enough of him, and he just kind of is like this fun hero. Like, mm-hmm. like for example, Don Quixote is like a fun hero, but he's also totally cut off from reality, which is what makes him so beautiful and interesting. Um, and I think it's similar to where... Um, Cosimo is living in the trees and he's if living this world of ideals and like is kind of not being realistic but making it work um, it also separates him from other people and I had to keep asking myself like well is this like kind of anti-communal is this like too individualistic uh, is he maybe not really understanding people right. because he's like being so pig-headed and like his whole mission is just basically to, to snub his dad to live your uh, life which is, you know, not a great way to... <laughs> <laughs> Certainly <Yeah>. not. <laughs> to, yeah, just be really angry at someone forever for something they did. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I think he definitely re- overreacted about the snails. Anyway. Uh, uh, yeah. Jesus Christ. Yeah. <laughs> no, so, I think... Point. Go ahead, Eric. No, 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 you continue if, you have, if you're going to continue. Uh, so I just, I, I like being critical of his choices and his decisions and how maybe there is something that part of his system that isn't, um, it's like an ideal. It's something that we kind of use like a Jesus figure or a Buddha. I used those examples before, but it's ne- never something that we obtain. And to try to emulate him to a T never really happens in the book. Like you never get a part where, Correct me if I'm wrong, where he has like a bunch of disciples or followers that no, no. follow him through the trees. He's just kind of this crazy old, he just turns into a crazy old man. Well, um, it's interesting because like he, he escapes to the trees to live this in this idealistic world, but he still tries to participate with people on the ground and some of the systems that they have set up still just from the trees. Mm-hmm. So it's like, well, how much is he really cutting himself off? Sure, sure. Mm-hmm. That was an interesting, like, aspect of it that I have been thinking about. Sure. And that's, like, a way of reconciling it. Like, I was t- talking to Phil about anarchism and, like, other stuff, like, with Polly. And, like, a lot of that seems, like, unrealistic to me sometimes. But, like, I'll, I'll maybe stick with anarchism because I always like to say, like, realistically I'm a socialist, but idealistically I'm an anarchist. Just because anarchism right. is, like, so fucking hard to do. Right. And, like can't really talk about anarchism in politics but I would love for it to be but you can still talk about it and live this ideal this world of ideals and still communicate with people and um, yeah I think I think of totally. Cosimo like corresponding with Voltaire and I don't know if he talks to Rousseau but yeah, he talks to all the leading like, minds of the, of the European yeah. Enlightenment movement um, but all from a tree and and there's some moments where he tries to to practice some of the ideas that have be- become the to signify the enlightenment period um but as the reader you have to ask yourself is is this because of cosimo or is he simply just a man of his time 
and it's just right place, right time. Like, is it was that inevitable? And his presence uh, is just circumstantial and, and doesn't uh, isn't really necessarily like significant or or in any way um, like a signifier of that change. Can you say last part one more time, Cooper? I'm sorry. Mm. Oh, just thinking about whether his his like presence there was significant to the change that his village saw, uh, or if he just was right place, right time. Right, just happened to be there when that was also. Yeah. yeah. Well, because a lot of it is deforested, isn't it? Eventually, yeah. That's right. That's right. That is a big change. Is the the loss of, you know, as um, mm-hmm. his brother points out, no one could ever follow in Cosimo's footsteps because the the forest that had allowed him to not just move about his small village but at one point he crosses the like Iberian Peninsula into Spain um, to visit uh, people who were also living in right. Spain he'd heard about them and wanted to go and see what they were about uh, but that had that has long since been cut down and so it truly was like the, the last time in which not only does like the baron in this landed gentry important, but so was Cosimo's like newfound and singular way of life. Sure, maybe yeah. I'll 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 posit something, um, and I'll this is going to be like a little thing. I'm going to just do it quick. Okay, so um, I really like what's his name. Um, sorry. Oh, not Hierogo. Habermas, Jürgen Habermas has this like essay he wrote about the Enlightenment where a lot of 20th century philosophy, like continental philosophy is really critical of the Enlightenment and like saw like that was actually fucked up to like emphasize rationality that much, but Habermas says because it just doesn't ignore emotions and things, but Habermas says that we the Enlightenment project was actually right in what it was trying to achieve and like having liberal ideas and having democracy and representation in a way that people could directly influence the way their lives were led at a grand scale and that was lost and instead of saying it's broken and not right, we should try to return back to those ideals. So taking that idea to this book is maybe this period in time where the Enlightenment was the fertile period for some kind of grand change, but eventually that change is also is going to be commandeered or usurped by somebody. And a lot of these democratic, like look at France and the Democrat and the French Revolution. There's a lot of people died for no reason, just for like power plays and like uh, infighting and um, uh, factions warring. Uh, and I think it kind of like a lot of that dream was lost afterwards. Like for a lot of democracies, that you see that happen everywhere. Um, but the idea was still pure, and I think that might be what's... Uh, I'm just now realizing this, maybe, is a lot of this novel is about, like, this beautiful period. It's, like, green period. Uh, right. Where, like, there was so much territory to be gained, but it kind of went away. But he inhabited that time. Right, right. For for white men. I like that <laughs> interpretation of it. Yeah. <laughs> right, right, certainly. <laughs> Big ol' caveat. <laughs> <laughs> Just ignore the asterisks there. But but yeah, but 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 I think it's still valuable to say like those are still things that should extend to all people. It just I think I'm pretty like hard no hard lined about that idea that the Enlightenment was really good and it just has to extend to all people. And yeah. Liberal ideas right. are great. You get your liberal ideas from this time period. Nowhere else. Right. Uh okay, fuck. 
and some tribal societies. But <laughs> I'm sure I'm trying, guys. Oh, you're doing great. You're yeah. captain of this ship you're wonderfully, J Bone. Uh, well, I I'm just swabbing the poop deck right now, enjoying <laughs> listening to you talk. I'm just glad you said poop. <laughs> <laughs> I got Eric. To say, we got Eric to say poop. Here, I, I'm here with appropriate topical uh, metaphors. Yeah. Nice. That's good. I'll be at the helm, I guess. Uh, <laughs> do you guys remember the part? I try to refresh my memory, but this is a gripping part of the narrative uh, where he's like trying. There's like someone's leaving ch- chests on the shore, and they think it's like the French or something. And mm-hmm. he keeps going back, and he actually like lands on the ship, but he's like on the, the spar, like on the mast. And he never actually falls onto the ground, and it comes back, and he like jumps on a branch or something. Is that something? So familiar? does that count because it's branching out from the ship, or it's I wood? So he's on a ship. Yeah. You guys right. remember this? Yeah. yeah. It he's, was. But it's just in the ground. It was his so. uncle. Do you remember his his estranged uncle? Oh. Yeah. 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 Who I believe. Yeah. He has a long and convoluted backstory. One that involves being like kidnapped by the Turks and like living there for like several years um right and then he comes back and lives with the family on the estate the Turks and his dad and like he... his uh, the father's like loves him as like the long lost brother prodigals he's some kind of yeah he's some kind of confidant for his father for his brother yes Baron, yeah. like he like works side by side with him hmm that was, that was a uh, a swashbuckling section. <laughs> of the right, because we find out that his brother has been aiding the um, uh, Burberries, which are, I believe, a group of Turks. Um, uh, pirate, um, pirate and raid uh, shipping vessels going off from the North North Sea, and so. His brother, or Cosimo, finds that out and has, like, a big old skirmish with these Burberries and the village folk get involved, and I believe it ends ultimately in the brother getting killed for treason. It, uh, he's, he is on a ship, and it's, oh, yeah, he's on the mast. Because remember, he's sailing back for the shore, and he finds out that his uncle has stowed aboard. And um, his uncle jumps off the boat, realizing that if he goes back to the ship, that his own brother's going to have to put him to death. And he gets captured right. by his friends who the Burberries who believe that he has turned against them. And so the last we see of him is his, uh, severed head floating in the water. Mm. That's pretty fucking metal. Yeah, I remember. Cause he's like, he, hell yeah. Yeah. Cause Cosimo looks out and he hears a little splash and he thinks he looks and he just, he sees, uh, he thinks it's his, uh, uncle swimming towards him. And when he gets near, he sees it, it's just the head floating by. Yeah, the whole book is not like that. I know we said it's a fairy tale, but that's yeah, the, yeah, that's the Grimm's yes. part. Yeah, totally. Yeah. None of the other like adventures were really ne- ever like got to that point. I no, like <clears throat> no. Well, cause I think it followed his. It we we follow Cosimo's progression. The story's not. Uh, like as he ages, because I believe Cosimo is twelve years old mm-hmm. when he gets into the tree, and so yeah. the this, the fairy tale changes and adapts to Cosimo's own changing um, needs and desires, right? Because the book gets very sexual as Cosimo does, 
you know, he, he hears about these people in the tree in Spain, so he goes looking, basically just, like, to hook up, because he realizes that it's going to be difficult to find not just, like, love, but also, like, carnal love if he's living in the trees and all these girls are on the ground. Um, totally, because even with loving Viola, like, he could, he, you know, she was on the ground and he was in the right. trees. And so it's, like, him realizing that their incompatibility, at least at that time. So, yeah, and then it, um, and then, again, I think that's, like you guys pointed out, that, that pretty violent story, I think, was just indicative of him being, like, a young man and, like, wanting that swashbuckling, mm-hmm. wanting that adventure. The hubris yeah, and confidence. it was, like, that shift, it was, like, that shift into, like, more, like, adult-themed adventures from, like, the whimsical, like, adventures of when he first jumped in the trees. Yeah, because if you remember, too, then there's later that part where he, um, um, he helps that bandit. Remember the bandit in the the forest? Mm -hmm. And and he's, like, a short little guy who's just very lucky, and, um... He uh, he teaches him to read. So the guy hides out. And he just brings him books. Remember the guy's going through the books so voraciously. Oh, that's right. Cosimo can't even keep up with getting him books. <clears throat> but uh, actually, that one ends pretty dark too, because inevitably he gets caught. You remember, and then he he gets hung for his crimes. This bandit, this famous bandit of the woods, and Cosimo is oh. there on the tree uh, and watches his uh, watches over his body for several days, I believe. Yeah, totally. It's like the he's he's realizing these more dire consequences from the frivolity of his actions. Like he's yeah. he's still trying to act youthful and like, you know, be living in the trees and uh living in this idealistic right. world, but now as he's getting older, these like actions are causing more dire consequences. Yeah, and that's like essentially what I was trying to that's a great example, but like this mm-hmm. idea of him being in the trees, he's cut off from people, and like, is how much of that is him right. being selfish? Like, just get down right. from the tree, dude. Like, you, it's okay. You, you did it. You it's proved like, everybody just right. Just like, like 100 completion. Now come and live okay. your life. <laughs> like that's that's all. It is. <laughs> does it feel good? Are you satisfied? Mm-hmm. Right. I don't think he really how ultimately it was. Like, so good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, I I found another quote I like to read. Yeah. section here. Um, it's on page 239, and let's see. This is when he's having something of a love affair with the Marquis. Marquise? Marquisa? Mm-hmm. Let's see. What is it? Marquisa. Marquisa. The Marquise. Um, oh. So, the Marquise, Marquisa, Marquise, it's just Marquise, but Marquise, this is a woman. Is Marquise a woman? Anyway, the Marquise arrived. As always, his jealousy pleased her. Partly, it excited her. Partly she turned it into a game, so the beautiful days of love returned, and my brother was happy. And just, just really quickly, to preface this, um, I want to read this because I think it sets mm. up another good comparison between this idea of reason and, uh, like, emotions and, like, rash. And, uh, sorry, if Cosimo is representing the reasons or the rationality of the Enlightenment uh, and the world below is, like, the world of, like, things and not ideals... Um, I'm I'm conflating ideals and rationality so anyway and now the Marquis never missed an occasion to accuse Cosimo of having a narrow idea of love alright and this is this is Cosimo and I'm going to go back and forth so what do you mean that I'm jealous 
your right to be jealous, but you claim to submit jealousy to reason. Uh, sorry. Of course, that way I make it more effective. You reason too much. Why in the world should love be reasoned? To love you more. Everything increases its power if you do it by reasoning. You live in the trees, and you have the mentality of a lawyer with gout. The bull's enterprises should be experienced with the simplest heart. He continued to spout opinions until she ran away, then he, following her, despairing, tearing his hair. <laughs> so, it's like, typical boyfriend who loves Nietzsche, and the girlfriend just doesn't get it. <laughs> will not listen to the slave morality. <laughs> Um, but yeah, I like that idea of him trying, of Cosimo trying to ration things and disconnecting himself from people. And like, he has some good points. I should, I should, I don't know. What did you, did you guys get anything out of that? I want to look at it. Well, yeah. Um, and the fact that he thinks he's living his life by reasoning, reason, and the choices he made makes are through his like, Reasonings and uh, interpretations of the world, but to other people like her and other people he's encountered, it seems like he's being unreasonable. Yeah. And it's like that back and forth. At least that's kind of what I was getting from it in that little exchange. Why in the world should love... Because like we were saying, it's like, at what point do you be like, all right, you proved your point, like be reasonable and come down, but he's saying that he is living a life of reason by doing these things. Yeah, I mean, that's a quote. Why should love be reasons? Like, if love is actually something that doesn't have reason in it. Like, is love right. reason? Is love blindness? Is love something that's erratic? Is loving... Is, as the war on drugs would say... Oh, never mind, forget it. I'm not going to quote the fucking war on drugs. Um, it's just like... Is it love? Is it something you can control? Which to me has always just been this idea of like, if you can control it, is it really love? That's my interpretation of it. So, um, I mean, it's all hormones. It's. Uh, nah, that's not true. Yeah, I don't know. It's beautiful, dude. Are hormones beautiful? Yeah. It's yeah. Anyway, um, I just like, I'm trying to set up as many dualities as I can here. Yeah, I think... Oh, good. Oh, yeah, I think that's important. Like, that's an important snapshot of his character with the way he goes about things, including something like love or trying to love. Yeah, that's pretty late in the novel, too. That's, like, three quarters of the way. Yeah, no, that was a good quote. Sorry, if I cut you off... Sorry if I cut you off. Like, I lost connection for a second. That's okay. No worries, bud. I can hear you. Cooper's frozen. I am? No, no, you're not. I think you were just holding such a good, like, uh, still face posed. I, for a second, I was like, is he frozen? And then you moved, oh. like, I was like, whoa. I'm just very poised. <laughs> I like I'm that. That's good. Poised about me. Uh, what? I think the fact okay. that we've already done. Oh, no, 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 no. I was going to start nearing the end, so if you got something, Eric. No, you know what? Yeah, let's just start wrapping it up. Okay. Yeah, because yeah, I mean, just, once again, folks, we're we're really sorry. We yeah. just did this like five days ago, and it was not fun. We just couldn't get people to do it. We we've, we've kind of lost some blood from this, so we're just trying to regain and recoup. Yeah, 
with yeah, you. Yeah, but you know, this was a, a. I'm glad that we got to jump on and at least do something for this book since we all took the time to read it. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> well, most of us. <laughs> and it's fun. It's fun seeing you guys' faces, even if I can only see the the bleak outline of Jordan's face from the rooftop in Brooklyn. <laughs> I kind of like. It's kind of a cool little effect. <laughs> no, I know. I feel like we should make it like a, a part of the uh, each episode. Yeah. Someone has yes. to be on a rooftop. Um, but yeah, continue, Jordan. Where uh, where were you leading us, Captain? Uh, well, I just wanted to say that I think we did a, some good work today, guys. And um, we just kind of got a little burnt out because we've already talked about this book for an hour and a half and lost all the data. So, um, hey, yeah. fuck it. Also, I just want to say I'll, I'll just start <laughs> with the closing statements. Um, I was a little yeah. disappointed about this book. I think I might have had the wrong expectations. I'm not... Because you were hoping for something... I was something. hoping for something a little bit more analytical or a little bit more... I like books that have, like, these, like, pages of just, like, I don't know, like, uh, what's a good word? Like, kind of, like, discursive philosophy. Or, like, or just, like, right. kind of, like, the narrator just kind of goes off and, like, we'll just talk about this thing uh, for extended periods of time. Most people don't like that, though, so... Uh, maybe you'll enjoy this a lot. Uh, it's very straightforward. It's <laughs> almost to me, it's too straightforward, and it is like too much like a fairy tale. Um, right. But it still reads really well. I read it very quickly. It's really enjoyable. Uh, this is probably a good way to enter Calvino. Uh, I know Cooper. You said you read the which the, the what was it called? I read uh, Cosmic Comics by him. Do which one do you prefer? Oh, probably this one, just because it's a more singular story. Okay, sure. So it's. Uh, I mean, Cosmic Comics is, is like, it's beautiful writing. So. Yeah, more more so than this one you'd say because this is so direct. Yeah, yeah, this is, this in, in, is, yeah. In Cosmic Comics, he does a lot of experimenting with, with just how we tell stories and literature in general. That it's really fun. Yeah, this is not flowery prose. This is very. It's just a, a brother talking about his brother. Yeah, and uh, it gets a little wacky, and it's fun, and uh, you don't have to know about the Enlightenment. Don't worry, you don't have to know about Italian history. It's right. just like bandits and pirates, and just a boy running around a tree until he turns into an old man, <laughs> and then a man running around a tree until he turns into an old man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sure, sure. There's that parallel there. Um, what because recommend... how he dies, we might as well just say how he dies. He. Uh, is like what, like eighty-seven years old? Mm-hmm. He's on old. a tree, and a passing. Um, well, he doesn't die, right? Yeah, a, po- a passing hot air balloon with like a loose rope flies by, and he's able to grab it, and nobody sees him ever again. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he's still out there, guys. I love That's it. That's a pretty good way to go, I gotta say. That's pretty epic, yes. Yeah, I liked it a lot. Uh, yeah, so that was my experience with it. Read it if, if this sounds good to you. If it does, if you're on the fence. Uh, listen to these two fuckers. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, I think along those lines, what you were saying, J- Jordan, that I I don't think your book ended up being what I expected either because I know your taste in books as well, and I thought when I heard this was like a 300-page book by some uh, Italian author, I was like, oh, God, this is going to be some fucking thick, tiny print, <laughs> dense shit, like paragraphs that run for three pages. Yeah. And then when I started reading, I was like, "Oh my god, okay, 
this is a fairy tale. This is like a whimsical Don Quixote-esque um, book. Uh, you know, I think I I did enjoy it for that reason. Um, one of the, I think, bigger reasons I didn't really touch on that I really liked it was the, the he's a really good writer. And this is translated, but you can tell that he has a very um, good writing voice and he is very skilled with language. Right. And um, I think some of my favorite parts were uh, the way he described the scenery with, like, these vast gardens and, like, forests of trees that surrounded this countryside. And uh, to me, some of that those parts were, like, my favorite, trying to, like, put myself in this world, imagine this, like, jungle that Cosimo is running through. And I thought he did a really good job of that, you know. So outside of, like, you know, what he was trying to do with the story, I thought... Uh, I really enjoyed his writing in general, and that's what made this book really easy for me to read on a 5.2 scale <laughs> of easy reading. Yeah, so uh, I enjoyed it, Jordan, um, and I would recommend it. Like This was the first time I've ever read this author, and I think it was a really good introduction to him. Yeah, I, this is this is my second time reading this book. Uh, I've, read, I've read him before, like I've said previously. Um, <clears throat> second time I got more out of it. Uh, I think I was telling Jory when we were actually in, uh, in IRL in real life together that um, uh, I actually found this book to be a lot sadder than than I had previously thought it to be. Um, when I first read it uh, that long ago, I think I just got <clears throat> a little bit... I don't know why actually I thought that... Um, I thought it was thought it was sadder um you mean like his his isolation yeah i think so i think that probably had something to do with it um do do you think i hate to interrupt no. you on your closing statement but do you think it was because you know how it's gonna end yeah i think so i think that that very well could have something to do with it i um i knew that inevitably his his whole trip would be kind of for naught just sort of like a, right. a fantastical blip in a in a world that um, was was passing him by, passing his kind by, and and call it a failure to adapt or call it the most adaptive way to live a life. In the end, it ultimately didn't quite matter. Yeah. And then I also I think I took a lot of pain from Cosimo's brother. You know, we never get to know him. He lives a full life. He's like an ambassador, I believe. He has a family, and we we hear none of it uh, in favor for for him telling his older brother's story. And that is yeah, he's an army. Yeah, and that is such a wild choice um, to me. Uh, that will always pull my heartstrings. You know, I think. I'm a sucker for that type of story. That's why I think I really do enjoy, uh, like a river runs through it, and and that sort of, um, that sort of uh, mushy nonsense. That mushy familial. Yeah, nonsense. I, I'm just I'm just a sucker for like a Bruce Springsteen type uh, story. <laughs> oh, you'll love. Yeah, <laughs> I can't wait. You guys see? There's that new Bruce Springsteen oh, movie. Oh, Blinded by the Light. Like. No, it's called. Is that what it's called? Yeah, Blind by the Light. It's a, like it's basically featuring uh, yes, the. We should all go. We should live like podcast it together. <laughs> I really want to. Uh, it looks pretty. <laughs> <laughs> it's good. It's good. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. That, let's let's, let's set up our Google Hangouts takes. in separate theaters across the country. We can comment on it while we watch it yes. as well. Who all listen yeah. to our podcast? Or they will uh-huh. once they steal. Especially the people around us in the theater. Yeah, because I'm going to steal their phones and subscribe <laughs> to our podcast. Well, if they if they didn't before, they will after that. Yeah. I have I have one question, guys. <laughs> this is a hard question. Do you think Cosimo succeeded? And I know that's like stupid to say things are successes and failures, but how do you read his story? Um, I don't know. I mean, I guess it's hard to tell what because what right. was his ultimate goal? I don't know if I even knew what his ultimate goal was, except to be defiant in well, some he ways. Succeeded in that. Yeah, I think he did succeed in that, but to what it cost. I mean, yeah, if, if success has defined his, his ability to stay up in the tree and never come down, then he did, in fact, succeed. Um, and if if his goal was to uh, be self-taught and educated and to fend for himself and to provide for him and his kind, in this case the townsfolk, um, to live a fulfilled life of simplicity where every need is met, then I'd also have to say that he did succeed. Um, cause it's, it, I, I think what I was doing when I was reading this was like maybe putting too much, um, aspirations on him. Maybe I assumed he wanted to be like Voltaire. Maybe I assumed too much and too often that he wanted to be one of the enlightenment thinkers when I was overlooking the fact that by him simply thinking and taking it in and, and living his life that he might just be doing just that. Yeah. I think... Mm. I think his goal was to be free. Yeah. And I think freedom always costs something. Right. And I think he paid that cost, but I think he achieved his freedom. I think he ended it ended too happily. It ended too funny and happy and beautiful I think for him to have failed, but I think there yes. were a lot of things he wasn't expecting and I think people should expect and I don't know, I'm kind of going through that now, man. Like if you want to be free, sometimes people got to get burned. Yeah. No, totally. You have to sacrifice things that you had in your life before. Sure. You have to be willing to take risks. You have to be willing to... Yeah. Um, yeah, to, to make those sacrifices, to know... If that's what you want, then you have to know that those sure. things are going to come with to fold them. Yeah. And, like, sometimes people don't survive <laughs> with it. And... Uh, that can like cause like I'm really am speaking to this novel like a lot of these people he tries to have relationships with and they don't ever work out because he's so I don't know Distant. dogged in his desire to stay in his world of ideas his, his world of trees right and so yeah I yeah. I think you're right in that uh, this story is of a happy story and ended as such to be considered a failure on Cosimo's part. Uh, but I think that is an interesting question. Um, one that a story like this begs to, uh, you as the reader to ask yourself, because it, it's, it's really easy to just read this story and take it in and just enjoy it for what it is, which I like invite and and hope everybody who does go and read this book does. Cause it is a really fun book to just let go of Mm -hmm. but what's really neat about doing this podcast and reading a book like the baron in the trees is that it 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 asks us as the the people doing this podcast to to look a little deeper um 
into the story. And I think, I think Calvino is a brilliant enough writer or a brilliant writer period. And that there is so much in this. And I think it is easy to get lulled by the simplicity of it. But I also don't think there's, there's so much more going on beyond the surface that you're going to feel like you got hoodwinked for not getting it. Definitely. Yeah. You don't right. need to be like a fucking highbrow reader to like this book. You could just be a very casual reader and you will probably. Yes. Like and as somebody who's read it twice each time, I, I got very different meanings from it. So, totally. so maybe it does invite um, several readings and, and that, that is kind of a rare thing to say for the books that we've done so far. I, I don't know how many I'd be able to, despite the fact mm. that many of them I have and ended up reading for the second time, uh, just that's just just because we have all have very kind of similar tastes and and when we don't it's fun but that's beside the point um but not very many books on our list i would say that it it, it begs for multiple readings totally and like the more we talked about it the last couple times like you know this was my first read through so i mm-hmm. was like really wrapped up in the fantasticalness of it all and i enjoyed you guys like shedding light on those kind of like more somber notes or somber, you know, uh, themes in the book, because like then it made me think back about it and like really right. kind of look at those things in a different light. Yeah, Which is also what I like about cool. this podcast. So we all, yeah, it's pretty cool. You know, one of our guys <laughs> records from a roof every episode. It's a new thing we do. Don't think, don't, the winter's coming, guys. Don't make me do this. Well, I'll, I'll be in Montana, so that'll be okay. It'll be way worse, actually. What am I saying? Yeah, wait. Uh, well, Cooper, as far as you saying I, not having to reread books, uh, next book I think is definitely worth rereading. Uh, not that anyone probably has. Uh, but uh, I've read it once. You read it? Oh yeah. Oh dude, you don't. Even, that book is like top five for me. Like I, anticipations. So good. Like I almost like thought about saying no because I want to do it right. Oh, but this yeah. is this is Blood Meridian. Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. This is sick. Blood Meridian by Cormac. Yeah. McCarthy. Yeah, so that's a good transition. Yeah, next <laughs> next time, Blood, Mer- Blood Meridian by Cormac. <laughs> it's literally called Blood Meridian. McCarthy, 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 McCarthy. You don't have to know about it. It just knows to be fucked up. It's so, yeah, oh my God. This will be my second time reading it, and I'm yeah. fucking pumped because I fucking loved oh, it the man. first time. I can't wait. Yeah, maybe a little bit, but oh. it's okay. It's good to get fucked up sometimes, bud. Hey, man, I need another Gravity's Rainbow, and like, this is yeah. always been potential gravity's rainbow so wait have you read it no i've, I've only read um two of his books i read the orchard keeper and no country novel oh and no country how was the orchard keeper dude it's weird yeah it's kind of too much it's like it's like hard to read it's like is that the one where he's on like a tennessee gambling boat no that's the one after this is like in I think it's in Tennessee also because all his like first four or five novels are in Tennessee and then he moves to Texas right but um no it's just like it's kind of, kind of also one of those stories where nothing really happens right yeah uh which it was a good book I felt I, I got really into it but it's like I didn't really know if it was worth it in the end I can't really fucking remember what happens guys it's just like there's an orchard and he keeps it and there's like a murder and the body and just like family stuff and like incest and yeah classic mccarthy classic mccarthy yeah it's very it's very faulkner it's very very like 
dark Falcon. Well, I'm excited that you get to read this for the first time because it is it's, so it's fucking certainly, epic. Certainly, I think I'm ready to get fucked. Uh, it's definitely one of I'm my ready to get fucked westerns, and that's actually it's probably my second is that favorite. Two? Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh. oh yeah. Bastards. Uh, um, and I can't wait to read it again. Uh, but this oh, probably yeah. this probably comes in second um, as as Two. my favorite western. Saint Gray. Uh, no, no. <laughs> God no, no. First this is, comes in first is second. You said uh, always and forever. Um, Lonesome Dove. No way. Uh, it's Lonesome Dove. Is that, is that Lamar? Right? Oh, Lonesome Dove cool. is Larry McMurtry. He wrote the shorts. Yeah, McMurtry. That's right. I've never got. A chance. I've heard a lot. I've heard a lot about that book, and I've always wanted to read it. It's it's, it's it is by far one. I mean, it's one of my all time favorite literature books or just fiction books. But as a piece of like a uh, Western lore, it is it is definitely up there. I mean, all it is is just like two old Texas Rangers in like the eighteen eighties. Uh, who are about who are retired rangers want to do one last thing and so they just steal a bunch of cattle from from Mexico and drive it from Lonesome Dove Texas all the way up to really? Montana right before it becomes a state. Uh, yep. That's true. He is he is he's a Montana writer, uh, isn't McMurtry, he? No, I believe he's a Texas boy. Oh, okay. I but I remember. Uh, that's what I remember about that book. So in some class in college, they're talking about it because it goes. They eventually go the whole up to goals Montana. Get up to Montana, so, yeah. So you know. Yeah, the Montana it, tie. So it's that's based loosely on the rancher who actually helped build the Missoula Mercantile. Mm. He was one of the first men to drive cattle up um, from Texas to Montana, and this is this is like during like Red Cloud's mm. War, and again like before Montana's even mm-hmm. a state. That's that's sick. Mm. That's really sick. I would love to read that book, but it's like twelve hundred yeah. pages. Wait, Lonesome Dove is okay. That's fine. Four part episode, oh. guys. <laughs> it's huge. I had no idea. I thought it was. I thought it was kind of fluff, to be honest. So, no, man, it is. I, I, there's still moments in my life in which, like, I, I think about that book very often oh, in relation beautiful. to my life. That's that's you know it's a keeper. It's like exactly. those like five books you think about like every week. Fuck yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I think, uh, yeah, guys, that was a good one. I think yeah. the three of us carried the mantle really well, is this... and we did some justice to this book, even though it took us, you know, a long time. Does this mean we all get to skip one episode in the future if these? Yeah, this is our this is our hall out? pass. <laughs> we should make Daniel and Phil do it by themselves. <laughs> I would love to hear that episode. Just give him a really shitty book, too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yes. No, it has to be one of our choices, and then we all bail. Yeah. Oh, that'd be great. Yeah. Well, I'm not missing the next one. That's for sure. No. Someone's gonna. Yeah. No. 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 Well, guys, uh, I guess uh, let's uh, say bye. Yeah, thanks for listening. Thank you guys for listening. Well, that's our show. Thanks for tuning in. Next episode, we will be reading Blood Meridian by Cormac McCarthy. This will be actually the second time we've read McCarthy on this podcast, the first one being No Country for Old Men. You can check that episode at our Podbean page or wherever you get your podcasts at. Um, And I think he's a very deserving uh, candidate for a uh, repeat on this show with uh, this gritty, dark, and beautiful novel. So uh, see you next time. Hey, y'all. It's Phil here to introduce the outro music which is by our friends, the band Fools, who are out of Missoula, Montana. This song is called Ronin, or Ronin. 
um, R-O-N-I-N. Their stuff is out on Spotify and Bandcamp. And um, their new album, it's an EP deal. It's called, um, what the hell is it? About Face is really fucking good. So you should check it out. Um, this song is, yeah, a classic. I think instant classic. Check out the gang vocals and Tom is just fucking yelling. It's really great. Okay, bye. Thank you. 